0: Now, Lord, we come to the time that we've set aside to study Your Word together. And I pray, Lord God, that this study would be truthful and accurate and fruitful and encouraging and that through the preaching and teaching of Your Word, You would do Your work in the hearts of Your children. Lord, as we see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the pages in front of us, How I pray that if there is anyone listening to me now or listening to a recording of this who has never come to Christ in faith to receive eternal salvation, I pray that today, this moment, Lord God, might be the time that they just cry out to You. Cry out to You, Lord Jesus, and ask You to be Lord and Savior in their own life as they recognize, like we sang so much in every song today about how You gave Your life for our sins, about how You received all the wrath upon sin in our place and rose from the dead, and and now there is forgiveness and eternal life by Your love and by Your grace to all who will receive You by faith. Please, Lord, let someone listening come to Christ and receive salvation. I know the teaching today, as usually is the case, is more an instruction for those who are believers already. But along the way, we never lose sight of the fact that there was a time that we didn't know You and You brought us to salvation through faith in Christ by the preaching of the Gospel. Let that happen, please, Lord, according to Your will. I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay. Let me read this short passage to you starting in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 51 and reading just to the end of the chapter. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? They said to Him, Yes, Lord. Then He said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son?" Is not his mother called Mary, and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now, He did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now, I backed up, I know the bulletins say that I'm just going to start in verse 53, but I backed up a couple of verses to read just to try to tie up the the context of what we had studied before. When He says, have you understood all these things? In verse 51, all these things are what? This long series of parables that He taught. And the parables were all instructions about what? They were instructions about the kingdom of God, teaching about His kingdom. And I wanted to back up and just kind of insert this here because I had this thought, and, and this thought just came to me this morning. Very clear. I was, often when I pray, in my mind, like when Jesus said in this manner, pray in the Sermon on the Mount, and He gave what we call the Lord's Prayer, I learned many years ago from a preacher that that's like, you know, not necessarily a recitation you're supposed to make. Well, there's nothing wrong with saying the exact words, but it's like a blueprint for prayer. So very often when I pray, I, I try to keep like the words of that prayer in my mind. And, and as I pray, I, I try to like pattern my prayers like in, in the blueprint. And I, I find that to be a very edifying way to, to worship and pray and and I enjoy doing that. And what, what struck me today was that the prayer starts, the Lord's Prayer, with uh, hallowed be your name. After it starts with worship, Father, holy is your name. And then the first thing that is like prayed for, if you want to look at it that way, is what? Your kingdom come. So the heart cry of the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is for his kingdom to come. And then it goes through all of those familiar, like checkpoints, if you will, for a good time of prayer with the Lord, the manner to pray, the pattern in which we're to pray. It goes through. And then it ends with these words For the kingdom and the power and the glory are all yours. The kingdom. So it starts off with, your kingdom come. And it ends with, the kingdom is yours, along with what? All power? So, so the, 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 the actual kingdom of God which is coming belongs to Him. All of the power associated with it is His, as opposed to what? Mine. The kingdom's not mine, it's God's. None of the power is mine, that's all God's. None of the glory goes to me or to any other man that all goes to God. So the prayer starts with the praying person longing for God's kingdom to come and ends with an acknowledgement that the kingdom's not mine, nor is the power or the glory of it. It all belongs to God. The kingdom. The kingdom. What are we referring to? Your kingdom what? Come. Jesus taught all these parables and said have you understood all these things and they said yes and then he talked about every scribe concerning the kingdom of heaven the king there's the kingdom again is like a household who brings out of his treasure new things and old in other words in other words a scribe like a teacher ought to be able to bring out old things new things all pointing to what the kingdom christ is coming and it's not just He's coming to take us to go to heaven with Him. We sometimes leave details out in making the gospel simple or, or whatever, whatever the reason is. The gospel becomes just ask Jesus to come into your heart and you'll go to heaven. But, I, but the truth of it all is so much more, right? The Messiah came, accomplished what He accomplished, rose from the dead, ascended back to heaven, and is going to come again one day. Right? Right? His kingdom is coming. His kingdom. He's going to return. He's going to rule. It's going to be a kingdom of power. It's going to be a kingdom of righteousness. It's going to be a kingdom of truth. It's going to be a kingdom where the king is going to be worshipped. It's going to be a kingdom where God is going to be honored and glorified. And in time, within the context of time where we all live, we are headed towards it. And the cry of the believer ought to be, Yes, Lord, come and bring your kingdom. Usher in your kingdom. You know what you need for the kingdom, right? You need a king and you need subjects. So the king is coming. The king was here, the king left, and the king is coming. But the king has charged his servants in his absence to do some stuff. And often when I pray, and I pray, and I'm thinking about those words, your kingdom come, I'm not just looking ahead to the future, but I find myself saying, Lord, strengthen me and help me. I feel like I'm having one of my prayer times right now. Lord, strengthen me and help me to be a servant in your kingdom right now. Help me to labor for your kingdom. Help me to live on behalf of and be a representative of your kingdom which isn't quite seen yet or is seen in a form but not clearly totally what it's going to be help me to live my life as your subject like we were talking about the last couple of weeks help me to walk in your righteousness help me to love you oh that song that uh, jillian sang for us today help me to live truly as someone for whom your love is all i need sufficient all sufficient your love and live like that help me to be a servant in your kingdom preaching the word of god Help me, help me, Lord, because His kingdom is coming. Well, don't you know, then, when you launch into verse 53, as I said, the Lord's kingdom will come. And He has left us here, if you want to think of it this way, with a mission. That's why I called the sermon today, The Mission. And this passage of Scripture at the tail end of this chapter, can almost be glossed over because of the glory and the sheer magnitude of the parables in the chapter, right? So it's like you study through all these parables, another parable, another parable, the kingdom of God is like this, the kingdom of God is like that, and then you get to this little passage at the end, and it's almost like, oh, okay, we're winding down, and then we're going to launch into the story of John the Baptist in the next chapter. And, And these couple of verses here can can almost be overlooked. But but this mission that Jesus has left for us, listen, listen, this mission that Jesus has called us to, He exemplified in His own life. You understand what I mean by that, right? Like, if you want to know what our mission is as a follower of Christ, and as a servant of Christ, look at Christ. And here you see, what seems like a passing anecdote, an example of something that happened in Christ's life when He was here on His earthly mission. That seems to happen so fast. It might even seem like just something you want to blow off because nobody listened to Him. And yet, this little passage, as I thought it through, typifies in many ways what the mission is like. So much so that I saw four distinct points in this passage and I thought of parallels. There are things concerning Christ's mission here on earth that I saw parallels of in the life of Paul, the apostle. So we're going to read them here and then we're going to flip over to a couple of passages in the book of Acts and see them fleshed out in Paul's life. And then hopefully what that does for you Is it, number one, woos you to rededicate, recommit yourself to the mission and see how these things perhaps could be played out in our own lives. You know, that song about His love being all we need is, is true because when you have something like this happen to you, you might feel like you have nothing, but you have everything because you have His love. And if you believe His love is deeper than the sea and higher than the mountains and able to... Be stronger than the wind and smash all of your sin. Well, sure enough, what else could there be? You can't go any deeper than the sea. You don't go any higher than the mountains, right? And, and you can't get any stronger than the wind, really, as, as forces go. Smashing sin? Well, yeah. What else could I possibly need, right? Great song. And so you see in here an example of, of what the mission can be like, of what the mission very often seems like. Because Jesus does what here? Jesus interacts with family and close people. And for most of us, our lives are not about going hither and yonder, and encountering brand new people in brand new cities day after day after day for most of us the people we encounter are the people that Jesus encounters in this passage is that not true you go to work you go to school you're at your home you visit your relatives you come to church right and you have this you have this slice of human existence, which is your life. Here's that slice for Jesus. He goes back to Nazareth, and this happens. So I saw four points here, and I want to I wanna go over these with you. And like I said, after seeing them typified and exemplified in Jesus' life, then I found very similar examples in the life of Paul, and actually not just Paul, but also uh, another person we read about in the book of Acts, Philip, which we'll see in a moment. So pick it up in verse 53, and let's just pick this apart. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished the parables that he departed from there. That seems like a statement that doesn't mean much, but, but actually that statement captures how we live. We finish something and then we're done. You go to work. And when the job is over or when the, your set hours for your work have expired, you leave. You go to school. When the final bell rings, you leave. You go on a trip. When the, when the days allotted for the trip are over, you leave. Much like Jesus. It came to pass when Jesus came through this time in his life, when he finished teaching all these parables for his disciples, that he left. And what did he do? It says he left and he went home. Another very human experience. He left and he came home. And we're told what? When he had come to his own country, he what? He took a few weeks off when he came to his own country, he decided to set the ministry aside. Listen, obviously no. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking a break. I just took one this week and I was really happy to do so. And I intend to do that a little bit more, as the Lord would provide. Taking breaks is a good thing because it can refresh you, it can focus you, and and do lots of good things. And Jesus took breaks. He went apart with his disciples for a while where they rested and you see all that. But there's one thing that you never take a break from. Never. Because it's not what you do, it's what you are. You can take a break from the things that you do, but you don't take breaks from what you are. Do you understand that? And so, even while we might take a rest from our activities, we never take a break from being God's children. We never take a break from being God's ambassadors. We never take a break from being God's representatives here on earth. And Jesus, when he went home, we're told, what did he do? He went into the synagogue. Now, you have to understand, this synagogue in his own country, and, and we know, even though it doesn't specifically mention Nazareth in this passage, we know he's there because of the presence of who? Mom? Dad, if dad was still alive at this time, people say different things about that. But brothers, sisters, family, his family's there, right? So this is Nazareth. This is where he grew up. You know the story from Christmas time? You piece all that together, and Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He stayed in Bethlehem for a little bit until Herod died. They were afraid of the new Herod, so they went to Egypt. Uh, and they waited there for a while. And then after that, Herod died, which wasn't very long. The new Herod that came, they were a little afraid of him, so rather than going back to Bethlehem, they went back home to Nazareth. And this is where Jesus grew up. So when Jesus goes into the synagogue, this is Jesus like going into his home synagogue. This is where Jesus sat and listened to them growing up. And now he goes into the synagogue, and he's a teacher. When he came to his own country... He taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. Now, before we get into their reaction, I just want to dwell a little bit on this idea of the mission. The mission is with us wherever we are. That's the first thing that a Christian should commit to. You go on vacation. You go on a family holiday. You get together with family and friends. Your mission is to be God's child and God's representative wherever you are. I'm not necessarily saying that everywhere you go, you're supposed to just interrupt everything that's going on and just stop everybody and say, hey, everybody, I have something to say, and stand there and preach a sermon to people. That's not necessarily what I mean, although there probably are times where we ought to be a little bold and open up our mouths and speak and tell people about the Lord and, and, and tell them about salvation as God would lead us and open the door. But The point here is is that the mission is with us wherever we are. Jesus went home after a very intense time of work and ministry. And when he got home, he didn't stop going to synagogue. He went to synagogue. And when he got to the synagogue, he used the opportunity to get up and teach. And that's a good example for how we ought to live. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, remember God, remember Christ, remember the gospel, remember the mission. Wherever you are, be encouraged. Take some gospel literature with you. Pray, Lord, thank you for this break, this vacation, this whatever it is, but Lord, help me. Here where I am, maybe a different place, but Lord, help me to remember you. And help me, Lord God, if you put something in front of me, help me, Lord God, to use that opportunity to glorify you. Jesus here had an opportunity, and so Jesus seized the opportunity. Right? I want you to turn to see what I think is like an example of this played out in the life of his followers in Acts chapter 8. Go to Acts chapter 8, which all these chapters in Acts should be familiar ground to you. Acts is a wonderful book to read. I've hope, I hope you've taken the opportunity to read it time time. And again and again, it's a very encouraging. Book, hard one of those one of those reads that's hard to put down once you start it. Acts chapter eight and verse one. Let's just go through some of this and see this opportunity. All right. So Saul was consenting to his death. His is Stephen, right? Um, and I'm not give all the background, but chapter seven of Acts is Stephen giving his defense of the gospel before the Sanhedrin and they condemn him to death, drag him outside and stone him to death. And Saul, who later on becomes the Apostle Paul, but this isn't his story right now, was actually staying there consenting to the stoning to death of Stephen. Now, at that time, a great persecution against, arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So you get the idea, right? This is very different than Jesus going home, though these were probably people who went home. Because if you read the early chapters of Acts, what you see is people had come from everywhere in the world for Pentecost. And that's where the church was born. And all of the first believers in Christ were people, Jewish people, and people who had come to Jerusalem for Pentecost and were there. And as time went on, some of them may be left, but when people traveled back in the day, they would often stay for weeks or even months at a time, right? And many of these people were probably people who weren't originally from Jerusalem but had been there for a long time, had come back again and again and again. And so what happens is you have this ministry of the gospel which had begun to thrive in Jerusalem. And this event The stoning to death by the Sanhedrin of Stephen kicked off this great violent persecution against the church. And so they left. And they were scattered all throughout Judea and Samaria, which is where they had come from. Now that sounds like a bad thing, but they did what Jesus did. When Jesus went home, He went to the synagogue and He taught them. When these people left and were scattered all throughout Judea and Samaria, guess what they did? What did they do? They did the same thing. It says in verse 2, about devout men carried Stephen to his burial. Saul made havoc of the church. But then you get to verse 4. It says, those who were scattered, they did what? They went everywhere preaching the word. So, everywhere they went, they didn't didn't uh, recoil into a fearful position or they didn't just... Take some time off from it or set it aside or debate over it or anything like that. They seized the opportunity. And wherever it was that they went, the mission was on the forefront of their minds. They had received when they were in Jerusalem, they had received much from the Lord through the Holy Spirit and through the hands of the apostles. Now they're scattered and they're being persecuted and guess what they do? They go and they spread the word. And this is how you and I need to be. Maybe we're not suffering from violent havoc, you know, being thrown at us, though there are places in the world where that certainly happens to Christians. But we do have lives that take us hither and yonder and take us to various places to various situations in life. And we ought to be like these people. And remember that no matter what we're doing, we're on this mission. Listen, brothers and sisters. And I know a lot of us are missing because of the traveling. You know, hope, hopefully some of the people that are traveling on vacation are either listening to this or thinking about things like this because this is really what it's for. But it doesn't matter whether you're there or you're here. Look, our mission is what? Our, here's what our mission is not. Our mission is not to just get together for a couple hours every Sunday morning and sing wonderful, beautiful songs that properly exalt and glorify God. Listen to me rant for an hour. Put some money in the offering plate. Have a chat with a few people and go home. No matter how sincere and good and wonderful everything we do here is, this is not the end of what it is we're called to do. The mission is the end. We're called to make disciples. What we ought to be doing probably is grabbing people, inviting people. We should be doing everything we can to speak to people and tell them, come and listen. Come and hear these things. Come and listen to these things. Right? Well, that's what these people do. Everywhere they go, they go and they preach the Word. Now, there is an example here of one of these people. It was a man named Philip. This is not Philip the Apostle. This is a different Philip. Philip and Stephen were two of what some call the first deacons. Those who were called back in Acts chapter 6 to work at the tables of the widows in the church. But they were much more than table servers. They were also men who were filled with the Holy Spirit as they were commanded. And so... Philip is one of these people who went out and was scattered and he found his place in Samaria. Verse 5 tells us he went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. little aside detail that has nothing to do with anything, but this very city, the city of Samaria, is actually a national park. The the, uh, archaeological site and the ruins thereof are actually a national park in Israel today. So you can actually go and walk in the very place where Philip walked and this happened. So Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Right? It goes on to, it talks about the miracles that happened, demons coming out, spirits coming out people who were paralyzed and lame being healed. Verse 8, there was great joy in the city. And then you get the story, I won't read it now for time's sake, of the the sorcerer who was there who was named Simon. And and you can read that story for yourself and what God did through all of that. And it's very interesting because what happens is Philip basically goes back to Jerusalem and calls for Peter and, and the apostles to come down. And they lay hands on them and and there's this wonderful oneness which is established between the Jewish believers in Christ in Jerusalem and the Samaritan believers in Christ in Samaria. And things are going very, very well. And then what happens to Philip? Verse 26. And in conjunction with baptism, we preach about this all the time. But you see what happens to Philip? The Holy Spirit says to him, Now, Philip, you see what I've done? I've put you there in Samaria, and I want you to stay there, and I want you to preach and preach and preach and preach. If you're looking at your Bible, you'll know that I'm I'm being ironic again, as I often am. That is not what the Spirit said to Philip. The Spirit spoke to Philip and said, What? Get out of there! As the Spirit often does. The Spirit will lead us. Because Philip is a believer in Christ whose heart and mind is set on the mission that the Lord had for him. And so, he tells him, in verse 26, go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So now there's a great call. I want you to think about this for a minute. Philip is in the middle of a great revival. The apostles have come down from Jerusalem. People are being healed. Miracles are happening. The Samaritans are coming to trust in Christ just as the Jewish believers in Jerusalem did. And Philip is told by an angel, get out of here and get on a desert road that goes nowhere. Basically, that's his call, right? What does Philip do? We're not told anything other than he goes. Verse 27, so he arose and went. And of course, then comes that you see, as you read it, we have the privilege of reading it and, and knowing clearly what God had in mind. But Philip didn't in that moment, right? We're not told that Philip knew in that moment why he was supposed to go. He was told to go, and he did. But his heart was set on the mission. And whatever the Lord wanted him to do, wherever he was, he had been in Jerusalem and probably comfortable in the church there. Then he's scattered away in a persecution and ends up in the city of Samaria. God uses him to establish a foothold for Christianity there and a church there. So second time, he probably thinks, okay, this is great, I'm here. And now God says, get up, go. Where? Gaza. What's there? Nothing. Desert. Well, Lord, am I going to preach to piles of sand? What am I going to do, Lord? No, he goes, and what happens? Here comes this guy from Ethiopia, a eunuch. Who is in charge of all the queen 's treasury, and the Lord sets this up so that as this eunuch is going down the road, he is sitting he 's sitting in his chariot and he 's reading isaiah fifty three literally you read it for himself it actually gives the exact passage in verse thirty two The place in the scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation for his life was taken from the earth, right? And, and Philip, before, right before that, Philip had said, do you understand this? Do you understand what you're reading? And he's like, you know, how can I? Unless someone guides me, which means he was reading. So, so understand this. Philip is sent to the exact spot at the exact moment where this Ethiopian guy was riding in his chariot through Gaza, where this is desert, empty, nothing. There's nothing there. He's riding through Gaza, and he's reading Isaiah 53 out loud. Well, there you go. Now, there, now there's an example of someone who really believed God and really trusted God is Philip, right? And God delivered, right? So he brings him by, the eunuch stops his chariot, brings Philip into the chariot. Philip witnesses to him, preaches the gospel to him, and he gets saved. And so powerful and profound is that experience that he says, I want to get baptized right now. What hinders me? And Philip says, if you believe, you may. So they see some water, which itself is probably pretty miraculous, riding through Gaza, right? So they see some water, and he calls the chariot to stop, and they go down into the water. And Philip baptizes him and the Ethiopian eunuch goes on his way and Philip is miraculously snatched his way and sent somewhere else. Philip ends up in four different places in this chapter. He starts in Jerusalem, then he goes to Samaria, then he goes to Gaza, and he ends up in Azotus. Right? Why? Because God is using him and wherever he is, the mission is on his mind. Just like Jesus who after all this preaching and teaching of parables, goes home, and when he gets home, what does he do? Straight into the synagogue. Listen up, folks. i got some stuff to say. That's how you and I should be. Like Jesus. Like Philip. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, looking for God to give us opportunities to be about the mission. The mission is with us wherever we are, whatever we're doing. Keep your eyes open. Stay close to the Lord. This is what we're called to do. Now, second thing, back in Matthew. Overlapping ground a little bit, but my first point was that Jesus went home and... He, didn't, he went home, but he, he didn't suspend his mission when he went home. He stayed on it. And you and I, no matter what we do, wherever we go, we ought to remember why we're here and stay at it, right? But here's the second thing. What did he do specifically? He taught them, right? When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. And... This speaks something to what the mission is. We are blessed and privileged beyond probably... Forgive me if this is not true for you, but I'll just be bold and say it we are blessed and privileged beyond probably what we appreciate. In that every week, at least on Sunday morning, but probably many other times, we are able to gather together for the purpose of opening up the truth of God, the Word of God, and learning. You live in what is probably the most sophisticated freest and most prosperous country and society easily, by far, that the world has ever seen. And you live at a time when access to study and learning and information is more easily and readily available than ever anywhere in history. And yet... The book that we sit here every week and study, nobody knows what it says, relatively speaking. you live in a culture where nobody has any idea. Do you understand what the Bible is? The Bible is like you like you like like mystery stories you know or or, or uh you ever see like you ever see like the movie um What's the one with Nicolas Cage where he's looking for the ship and, and then they find the treasure? and National treasure, right? You like stories like that? Like they find, they, they, they find the ship buried in the ice and they find this thing that ends up... I'm sorry if I'm spoiling it, but it's an old movie. If you haven't seen it yet, that's your fault. So, 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 so like there's, there's, they find this thing that ends up being a key and it unlocks this treasure and they end up in New York and, and, and buried under here and, and all this stuff. And, and yeah, you like the, well, listen... The Bible is like, and that's fake. This is real. There's this incredible thing that's going on. It's happening. It's happening right now. And that is that history is marching along to the time when His kingdom is going to come. And He's going to return. And the key to accessing it and availing yourself of it the treasure trove of truth concerning it, the path to a person's place in it is right here. And no one knows it. Now, some of the reason that nobody knows it is because the world responds to it the way that Jesus' people responded to it, with envy and offense and a lack of faith. But the fact that you and I are here today is proof that there are people that when they hear it, they believe it. Our job is to teach. We need to learn ourselves and we need to teach others. We need to be able to... Look, I'm not talking about like the gift of teaching where some have the capacity in a special like Holy Spirit-given kind of way to stand up in front of God's people and teach. I'm talking about being an educator of the ignorant among the world and sharing with them the truth concerning Jesus. We ought to be so filled up on it ourselves that we're bursting at the seams, looking for someone who will just listen to this. We come to church on Sunday, and we sit here, and we listen, and oh, whatever, it's hard and tired and want to go. And What are we doing? Why are we here? We should be going all over the place, begging people, come on, come listen to this. Right? I mean, what are we doing? We're standing here every week putting out, we're like, you know, what was the saying in the movie? The key lies with Charlotte, right? And in that movie, National Treasure. And what 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 does it mean? And, and of course it means there's this key that was in this chip. And, and we and we, we understand what the key lies with Charlotte means. And what do we want to do? Just get together and sing songs every week? We should be like this little platoon of soldiers for Christ, like we sing about. Right? We were singing about that. That's what we should be. Like marching on and, 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 and bringing people in. Come, listen. There's great education happening for a couple hours in this place every Sunday morning. Come and learn the news that can save your life for eternity. Come and learn. Maybe you've never cracked it open. Maybe you've read it and you have no idea what it means. Come and sit and listen. Among other people that are sitting and listening and learning, come, go and bring them, bring them in. Why don't we? Turn to Acts chapter 13. The mission is to teach. The mission is what Jesus did. He went in the synagogue and taught them. The mission is to make God known. The mission is to make Christ known. The mission is to take that which we have been by His grace and love, given and share it freely you have received, freely give. Acts chapter 13 you see an example of this. Okay, Saul's not Saul anymore. He's Paul at this point, And he's on what we call his first missionary journey. And first they go through Cyprus, but then they set sail and they come to Asia Minor, which we call Turkey today. And then in verse 13, uh, it says, in verse 14 actually, they come to a place called Antioch which can get confusing because they launched off from a place called Antioch as well. But the Antioch that they launched off of was south and east from where they were. Now they're up in like north central Turkey in a region known as Pisidia. So it's called Antioch in Pisidia. And what do they do? They do what Jesus did. They go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Why? Why do you think they went into the synagogue? To teach. Because that's the mission. Is to teach. So they go into the synagogue... And there's a reading from the Law and from the Prophets. And then the rulers say to them, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Praise the Lord. In fact, that's exactly why we're here. Right? So Paul stands up. And let's just read this incredible teaching. This isn't just preaching. This is teaching. He taught them. Men of Israel and you who fear God. That's a way of identifying two groups of people. Men of Israel, those are the Jews in the synagogue. You who fear God, those are the Gentiles in the synagogue. All right? Listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. So the first part of his teaching is what? History. Brought them, with an uplifted arm, brought them out. Now, for a time about 40 years, he put up their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. So basically, it goes all the way from Exodus to the book of Joshua in a couple of sentences there. Then, after that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. And so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. This is all like a summary of the Old Testament, basically. The Old Testament narrative. So now you're up into Samuel's writings. And when he was removed, he raised up for them David. So Now you're into the books of the kings. Um, To whom he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, that's David's, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. You see what Paul did there? He's teaching them. He's t- And what he did is he went all the way back to the Exodus and went all the way up to David and then connected David to Jesus. Boom, boom, boom. He's, he's doing what we... How many people you think know that? Just that little bit. How many people... And listen, you might ask yourself, well, what's the great value of that? I mean, it must not be that important because he glossed over so much. Are you kidding me? I mean, you know, people know bit, people know there's a such thing as the Bible. People know that there's a such thing as Israel. People know that there's this history about Jewish people and Passover and in the culture they like know these things, but they don't know what they mean. But when you talk, when you understand and then you open people's eyes, you're setting them up for what Paul set them up for. Paul's not there just to teach history, but he wants to show them how all of the things that they've been learning in the synagogue drive up to what? Jesus. There's the Israelites in Egypt who God chose. And and God brought them out by a powerful hand. And and then He brought them into the land and drove out all these nations and gave them the land by allotment. Then He led them by judges, but they clamored for a king. And so He gave them Saul. And Saul was no good. So He found a man after his own heart, David. And from David's lineage, we get Jesus. Oh, oh. There. He just gave them the whole Old Testament in a few sentences. Right? But that's what our job is to do, is to teach people. You, you, and we just sit here and we listen to it again and again and again and again and again. And you're surrounded by people who that tiny little bit that I just... What is the point of Jesus? I mean, really, is Christmas trees and Santa Claus, is that the point of Jesus? The star over the manger, whatever. The the facts about all that stuff are wrong anyway. Is that the point? A baby in a manger? No, the point is all of this. You give people truth and God uses that to open their eyes and open their hearts that they might receive what Jesus is really about, which is what Paul does next. Majestically, beautifully, Verse 24, a reference to John the Baptist. The baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Verse 25, as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I'm not he, meaning the Messiah. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to loose. Men and brethren sons of the family of Abraham, that's the Jews in the synagogue, and those among you who fear God, that's the Gentiles in the synagogue, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know Him, that's Jesus, nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning Him. More great education. What a brilliant point that is. The fact that all the religious leaders in Jerusalem didn't recognize Him and condemned Him to death is actually a fulfillment of everything the prophet said. You see what He's doing? He's filling them in. He's cluing them in. This is our job. This is our job, is to learn this stuff and share it. What are the parables that He just got done teaching all about? The kingdom, like a mustard seed, starts off as some little thing, but grows into this massive thing that even the birds... How is that? It's by this. It's by spreading the Word. Are we really content to let the world just update their Snapchats and Facebook pages and watch football and baseball games and and go to school and go to work and and fill their lives with movies and television shows and and filthy music? Are we really just content to just let all that go by while we've got this? Without at least trying to say to people, hey, wait a minute. Break out of your routine and come with me for a couple of hours this Sunday. And listen. Listen. You, you know, the last 10 minutes of sitting here, do you know how valuable that is to every human being that lives on the planet? Everything that I just read, and I'd make it up, it's got nothing to do with me delivering it. Or I, you know how valuable that is? to show someone that like Jesus is not just the figure in some religion that came along a couple of thousand years ago and and we celebrate him being born in the manger at Christmas and put up trees and give each other presents and and, and. that's what that's what people think the point of the whole bible from the garden of eden is Jesus listen From in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. From that moment, the story of the Bible is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. From creation, the story is about Jesus. Nobody knows that. We've received freely. Our job is to give it out. Invite others to it. Come on, you know the parable that Jesus taught later on about the Master sending His servants out to invite them to the wedding? You know? And they they mock it. They ignore it. They don't come. So the Master says, you know what? Just go out into the highways and byways and invite anyone that you see. Strange way to plan a wedding, right? Well, I'm getting married and we're having a wedding and I invited people, but nobody has time to come. So you know what? Just go find random. Big banquet hall spent a lot of money on this reception. Go, just go and invite anybody, right? That's us. That's our job is to just go and invite people to come. You know, whether they are at the wedding dressed in an appropriate wedding garment the master of the wedding will figure that out that's not our job our job is to go and invite them in because people don't know this wow look look where the story goes and this is as far as we'll go with it today we'll finish it all next week which is fine that's what i planned but um listen to this there's a great story it says it says uh he says men and brethren verse 26 verse 20 i'm sorry i read that already Uh, Verse 28. Though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. So now what's he doing? He's explaining what happened to Jesus in Jerusalem, which maybe some of them had heard about, maybe not. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He started all the way with the Exodus and He's gotten all the way to Jesus, just telling Him the truth. He was seen for many days by those who came up with Him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are His witnesses to the people. And we declare to you the glad tidings. Gospel. Good news. Glad tidings. That promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that You get that? He's standing in a synagogue and saying, the promises that God made to the fathers that you read about every week, God fulfilled them for us. In that He's raised up Jesus. And then He quotes Scripture. So it's a Bible lesson. As it's also written in the second Psalm. You are My Son. Today I have begotten you. Right? So He's trying to point out that Jesus is the Son of God. The Messiah is the Son of God and that he raised him from the dead. Let's prove from Scripture that he was raised from the dead. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to see corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure riches of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, and Peter quoted the same psalm in Acts chapter 2, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. Basically the same explanation that Peter gave. For David, remember we were talking about David? But these promises can't... David wrote the psalm but that can't be about David because David's dead. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep. And you can see the audience in the synagogue going, yeah, yeah, that's true, right? Buried with his fathers, saw corruption, meaning his body decayed, right? But it says of the Messiah that you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. So obviously the saying in Psalm 16 can't be about David, It has to be about David's descendant, the Messiah. And that is Jesus. He says, He whom God raised up saw no corruption. It's proof of the resurrection. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man... Ready? Now we get to the point. Through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. If people don't hear this preaching and respond to Christ in faith, They have no hope of salvation. Their only hope is to scrape out whatever existence they can here in the temporary allotted amount of years. They have on earth and then die and be separated from God forever and end up in hell. That's the best for any man if they don't hear this and respond to it. I can't control who responds to it, but I have some responsibility to the mission to make sure I'm inviting people by issuing this invitation. You can say it to them. You can invite them to come and hear it. And it's the latter of those things that happens profoundly in this chapter. Right? It goes on to say, the forgiveness of sins, and by Him, that's Jesus, everyone who believes is justified. Justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. What a thing to say in a synagogue! Nothing in the law of Moses can justify you, but faith in this Jesus will bring justification. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets comes upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. So he warns them. The Bible also says when we preach this stuff, not many people are going to believe it. Don't you be one of them. You You listen to what's being taught here and you believe. You put your faith in Jesus. You Jew, you Gentile who fears God, whoever, I don't care, there's no difference. You listen to the Gospel of Jesus and you put your faith in Him and you believe and God will save you from your sins. God will justify you before Himself. You will be declared to be righteous. You will be declared to be righteous before God if you put your faith in Christ. He went all the way from the exodus to that. He talked. Like Jesus stood up in the synagogue and talked. Do you want the world to know or not? Come on. Is your life, is your faith going to church on Sunday and then just scraping out life? I know it feels like that for all of us sometimes, but we're called to something more. We're called to the mission. We're called to the mission of being part of the task of instructing this ignorant world that I was part of in these things. Jesus went into the synagogue and taught. Paul and Barnabas went into the synagogue and taught. Now here's the kicker to this story. The Jews, verse 47, we'll end with this. They went out of the synagogue. Look at this. The Gentiles did what? They got it. Everyone needs to hear this. They're sitting there and they're like, "Uh uh-huh, wow, Uh uh-huh, yeah. But their response is not just, I'm going to go again next week if I've got nothing better to do. No, their response is, everyone needs to hear this. Please, begged. You see the word there, begged, right? Begged, begged, begged. Don't just read it like it's a word. Think of what it means. What does it mean to beg? I don't want to embarrass myself by demonstrating what I think beg means, but you can visualize it. Please, please come back next week and share these things again next Sabbath. So the congregation breaks up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes. Proselytes are Gentiles who actually formally converted by circumcision to Judaism. They followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God, which is revelatory concerning the content of the gospel message. It is a message of God's grace. Salvation through faith in Christ. So on the next Sabbath, look at this, verse 44. Here's the kicker of the whole thing. Verse 42, they beg them to come back next Sabbath. Verse 44, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Now the Jews got jealous and they blasphemed But that just made Paul and Barnabas more bold and said, from now on we turn you to the Gentiles, verse 47, because the Bible says, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. That's what Isaiah said. So this, this, this idea of the Jews rejecting us and us going to the Gentiles, that's what the prophet said would happen. So that's what's happening, which made them even more mad. But you see what happened? They taught. And the people who learned were like, they heard it right because they said, if what these people are saying is true, everybody needs to hear this. And they went out and they grabbed almost the entire city. And they came back. And the result of it was at the end of verse 48, as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. God already knew who was going to get saved. God had appointed people to get saved. But how glorious it was the way that He worked it out. You and I are supposed to be part of this. This should be happening in our lives. Get yourself here and go get some other people to be here. What are you doing on next Sunday? Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you invited somebody to come to church? I don't mean VBS. I don't mean dinners. I don't mean... I mean Sunday morning. Could you imagine how awesome it would be if we filled these pews with people from this town and the surrounding towns just by doing what these people did so that they can come and they can learn. They can be taught, what does this mean? Isn't that what we're called to do? Isn't that what Jesus did? He goes home after a long season of ministry and goes into the synagogue And teaches. Paul and Barnabas, they go into this place and they go into the synagogue and they teach. Here you are in church. Wouldn't it be great? You don't have to come and beg me. I'm actually begging you. I'll be back next week, Lord willing. But now I'm begging you and myself. Let's go get some people and bring them in. to hear the word? Don't look at them and think, well, they're not worthy. Just go into the highways and byways. Invite them in. Let God figure out who's worthy. Bring them in. They could sit. I don't want to get to the end of our days, the end of our course, the end of our tiny little season of this life here on earth together and say, why didn't we do more? Why didn't we reach out more? The mission is to teach the truth of God and Christ. Let's be part of it together. I have two more points in that passage. That'll be for next week. Let's sing this last hymn. Jed, Amy, come on back up here and let's sing together. Let's all stand up, everybody.